Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'd been in Barrett's pub since six, drinking fast and heavy. The few other men at the bar saw enough to keep to themselves, and though I had come straight from the fields, having spent the day since first light, cutting grass for silage, and after the second pint had no more money in my pocket, the drink kept coming at me, and I kept putting it away. A couple of hours in, I'd yet to feel the effect, and it was because of weariness finally, and maybe also because of a need to be alone, that I gave up my place at the counter and moved instead to the bench seat in shadow at the end of the lounge, with a table for my, for my glass and a wall to support my back. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm talking to author Billy O'Callaghan, who's speaking to me from Cork, Ireland, about his latest novel, Life Sentences. A mother, her son, and her son's daughter each tell the stories that most affected them in the course of their lives. Jeremiah, called Jer, sits in a jail cell wishing he could kill his the brother-in-law who worked Jer's beloved sister to her death. Jer's heart is broken and his friends lock him up to prevent another tragedy. Jer's mother, Nancy, recalls fleeing her home after everyone died and seeking work on the mainland only to be seduced by a rakish gardener. She tells of her time in the workhouse and remembers how foolish she was to have trusted Michael Egan, the father of her two children. And then Nellie, Jeremiah's youngest daughter, is at the end of her own life. It's 1982, and she recalls burying her first child. These are sad tales of love, loss, family, and church, but they're all infused with hope. Hi, Billy. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Gillies. Thanks for having me. So these stories you've said are based on stories from your own family. Can you say more about how you came to compile this novel? Uh, well, I suppose it, um, it, it began for me uh, uh, a few years back. Uh, I wrote a long, short story. It was called A Debt in the Family. It was published in Plowshares and then it was included in a collection that I published a few years ago called uh, The Boatmen and Other Stories. And it was a story I had tried to write really my whole life. It was a story my grandmother told me when I was a little boy. Uh, and I, I had tried and tried and I could, could never get it quite right. And then eventually I... I I reached a point where I suppose I was I was good enough uh, as a writer to be able to to write it, and it, that story that she told me was actually the key to unlocking all the other stories for me. So that was the the starting point. Which story was it? It, it was it was a story from another collection. It, it was called the Death in, a Death in the Family. It was a story my grandmother. I, I when I was a child, I lived with my grandmother and. Um, she, you know, the, the book finishes with my grandmother, Nellie. Uh, and, ah, your grandmother's Nellie. Yeah, and, and um, the, the, 
the end of the book, you know, she's she's dying. She she was only sixty three when she died, but she was a to me she was an old woman. But she used to keep me at home from school to tell me stories when I was I was a little boy. I was only about seven when she died. Um and one of the stories she told me was about the death of her brother. Uh when he was a boy, he had fallen off the back of a goat. Um and it's a it's a long sad story, but it was it was a story that probably wasn't suitable for telling to a child. But it 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 left such a mark on me. I I always wanted to write it, um, and I eventually did. And I had tried to write it several times, and it was only when I realised that I had to write it from Nelly's point of view in the first person um and you know in in her voice except it's not actually her voice it's more uh, i like to say it's the voice of her heart um which would be true of this book as well um it it it, it made it gave me a way to write this book because i i realized i would have to uh, tell George's story his mother Nancy's story and Nellie's story, and each of them would have to tell their own story. So, um, so it's you have what you have then is three first-person narratives, um, and they're they're different voices, and yet they have a similarity to them. And it, it, I wanted it that way because I wanted a bloodline sort of a connection uh, to to run through the whole the whole book so that that was the that was my way into the into the book um i had the stories uh, for a long time it was just trying to figure out how to tell them aside from your grandmother did you hear stories from any of the other relatives oh well um i did but you know i suppose it was it was my mother um after my grandmother really uh you know, my my mother was very close to her mother, my grandmother Nelly, and um, she would tell me. I, I would always be asking her things. You know, uh, one thing I remember. Um, I, I'll bounce around with with this, but this is, I suppose, the only way I can kind of make sense of it. One thing I remember very strongly is that Nelly would tell me. My grandmother would tell me stories. A, a lot of stories about her father, uh, Jer. Um, she absolutely adored him. Uh, he he had a tough life. Um, he he buried he buried a, a a child. He survived two wars. He he fought in the Boer War and in the First World War and survived them both. Um, but we didn't know until I was you know I was trying to put. A story together, put put this book together, really, uh, and I started to do research. Um, we could never find where he was born, and then we eventually found that he was actually born about a mile from where I'm sitting now, in the workhouse. But we we never knew that he was born in the workhouse. Um, you know, the, the workhouse was where the poorest of the poor people went when they were destitute, really. Um, and that was the case with his with his mother. Um, so he was born there and his sister was born there. Um, and th- those stories, you know, they resonated with me. I, my memory of how much 
my grandmother absolutely adored her father and she knew he had a secret which was that he you know his father and mother weren't married he he, he was that terrible word of the of the day uh, illegitimate um and uh so that he he hid that as best he could um and and it was just she just had such respect for him such adoration for him um and one thing that that always stayed with me was that she used to say he died with a smile on his face and I, I, I just always thought that that was such a lovely thing especially the more I learned about his life and how hard his life was to think that you know you could reach a point where you, you were just content you know you, you could die with a smile on your face that that was um, mm-hmm. that was a nice thought yeah that is what we want for our loved ones. Can you say more about the workhouse? Nancy describes it sounds horrifying, but but I was thinking while I was reading it, it would be nice if there was a place for people down in their luck to be able to live and save money and go back into the world. Maybe maybe it would help the you know some of the homeless right now. Do workhouses still exist in Ireland? No, perhaps no. in some kinder form. No, um, uh, the, the, there was there was very little positive, I think, to be said about the workhouse. The workhouse was where Oliver Twist was. So that will give you a sense of, of what the workhouse was like. It was prison. It, you know, it was it was the equivalent of prison. Um, it, it was, families were separated, you know, children were taken to one part and, you know, um, husbands were separated from wives and it, it was just, it was, it was awful. It was, it was an off, it was, people would, it, it was the last resort you know, I mean, today we have, you know, we have social welfare and, you know, people can, there, there's something they can get. But back then there was nothing. If you, if you had no money to pay for rent, you, you lived on the street. If you had no money to pay for food, you starved. And so that the workhouse was for those people. Um, and Nancy had, had, survived the aftermath of the of the the famine which had decimated Ireland especially West Cork and the west coast of Ireland and especially Cape Clear which was the little island off the coast where she came from um and when you know when there was nothing left there after her mother died she had no no choice really but to make her way up to Cork City, um, and that's where the story. Well, can you say more about that island? It was fascinating. What what is what's it like now? Oh, it's lovely. No, it's a beautiful place. Um, it's you know, West Cork is the most beautiful place in the world, um, and Cape Clear is is a, is a little island off it. There's another island called Sherkin, and there's a few smaller islands that are now you know uninhabited but people live still on on cape clear um it's mostly retired people now uh a lot of europeans have settled there you know as a sort of a back to nature existence but um uh, you know at the time that nancy nancy was living there we're talking about the late mid to late um 1800s uh it you know, it it was it, it had been decimated by the famine, so um, people had to had to leave the island um, 
you know, emigrate or try to find work in, in the cities. Um, but it's Cape Clear uh, in this, I suppose, maybe in the 1970s, it, it had really started to die off. You know, people didn't think it was going to survive um, as a as a habitable island because there, there was no work there. You know, fishing is the only way you could make a living there at the time. Um, but since since then, there has been a sort of a resurgence. Um, and uh, I mean, I suppose now you know, working from home. If you have to work from home, Cape Clear would be a beautiful place to work from. Um, you know, if you had that that uh option. Um so I, I think I think better days lie ahead for, for Cape Clear. Um but it it had a hard history. Not only Cape Clear, but all of Ireland plays a huge role in your book. Much of the the poverty, as you said, came stemmed from the potato famine. Can you say more about it, just to remind American listeners, when did that start? When did it end? Why did everybody starve to death? So many. Okay. Well, um, I suppose you know the. I could only talk about the high point of it, really, because whether there was an actual definitive end, you know, it didn't, it, it, it lingered for a long time. But it, it, the, the worst years were 1845 to 1849. Um, that, that was the 1848, 1849. And it, it, that was the, the, the worst period of it. Um, in, in Ireland, a million people starved to death. Um, uh, up to two million people immigrated. This is why we have the diaspora uh, today. This is why there are so many Irish in America, um, Australia, you know, it, Britain. Um, as to why it happened, well, people were poor. The vast majority of people were, were very poor and they relied heavily on the potato. Um, there was a blight hit the potato crop um, and it, it rotted the potatoes so there was no seed for the following year and it, it, it spiralled. Um, there was the political aspect of it too, which was um, the, the, you know, Ireland was under British rule at the time and um, a lot of other produce that was grown in Ireland, wheat and, you know, things like that, beef even um they were being exported because you know britain had the um the biggest army in the world at that time um and they needed to feed their army uh the the empire was you know it was the biggest empire in the world so um so that that was the 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 potato famine and it it was it, it just it, it left a scar i mean if you're in if you're in the west of ireland today you know, you'll still sense it. You'll still, you'll still sense um, the devastation. Um, in in West Cork, Skibbereen, which is just um, when you when you make landfall from Cape Clear, you arrive in Baltimore, um, and just in from Baltimore, a few miles in the road from Baltimore, is Skibbereen, which is the first big town you you hit it's not really a big town it's a small town but uh it's big for for ireland and um uh they have a a mass grave there uh for the famine victims and there's 
thousands and thousands of them buried there. So, um, you know, this this is it's a long time ago in one sense, but it's you're only talking about you know five generations back, if even that, you know. Um, so, uh, I mean, Nancy was my great great grandmother. Um, so actually, just. I suppose uh, off the topic of of that for a second, but in the book, her name is Nancy, but her name wasn't actually Nancy. Her name was Mary, but she was known as Nan. Um, I'm not quite sure why she was known as Nan, but I I had a problem when I was writing the book that there was too many Marys, um, which is which is very common in Ireland. You know, um, we have a lot of Marys in every family, uh, but. When it comes to a, a book and trying to make sense of the, you know, the names, uh, we need some variation. So I had to, I had to vary them a little bit, and so I, I, you know, I kind of latched onto Nan as a as an option, and that just became Nancy. But that that's really the only, um, the only change. I, I kept all the names of the the rest of the, the characters. Um, so Nancy begins her story by saying that Mary, Jer's wife, asked her what life had been like growing up. And she had to think about it, maybe for the first time. Can you talk about her story? Yeah. Um, you know, Nancy, my grandmother remembered her um, vaguely. You know, she, she would have been a child when when her grandmother died, she lived with them. Uh, she lived in the house, which was just across the road from the house where I was born. Um, it, it was a little two-room cottage. Uh, and they they all lived there together. There was six children, a husband and a wife, and Nancy. Um, and uh, she... Um, I didn't have an awful lot of information. I, it was information that was found in researching for this book um originally when i was writing the book i had as i mentioned earlier i had written this story a death in the family and my my intention was i wanted to write another long short story or even a, a novella um about jar and so that's that's where i started with the book was 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 writing jar's section once i was about halfway into that i realized i was going to have to tell nancy's story to make full sense of jar's story and so yeah um from from records you know um they say that you should be careful about you know looking into records because you mightn't like what you're going to find but um I, I I suppose I I I found some shocking things uh, in the records. I when I found Jar's birth records in the workhouse um, archives, his mother was known as a prostitute, um, which you know nobody had ever mentioned that. Nobody had ever spoken about it, um, and. I didn't think anybody ever knew about it. And then I was I was talking to my mother about this and you know she was shocked initially but she she then as she started to remember she started to remember that there was little hints people would drop little hints you know 
along the way. Um, but the interesting thing about it was, uh, as the more I the more I read about, you know, h- how would this come to be? Um, what I couldn't figure out was that both Jar and his sister, who were born nearly two years apart, um, they were listed as having the same father, Michael Egan. Um, and I couldn't quite make sense of that, given that, you know, Nancy was, her occupation was prostitute. Um, and then I, I I found that when a child, when a woman would have a, a, a child, an, an unmarried woman would have a child, the first one, okay, might be a mistake. But if you had a second one, you were, that's what you were labelled a prostitute so um you know uh so um there there were there 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 were little things mentioned here and there um and what i what i was trying to do i mean i i didn't want to glamorize anything i didn't want to um you know make everybody out to be saints or anything like that but i i wanted to try to understand who these people were as uh, from from the things my grandmother had told me that the, and the things that i knew about them um and i i could only come to the conclusion that everything was really done for the sake of family it it was the it was the thing that it was valued most um with with them um they they seem to suffer every kind of hardship a person could um and it it was all about enduring you know um i i don't know where where not just these people but you know people in general from that era i i really don't know where they got the strength to to survive um but maybe it's you know i suppose we're we're all soft today and and they, they weren't soft, you know. These, these weren't soft people, so. Right. Um. So the church. I'm not sure what, if it's the Catholic or the Protestant, but the church and its representatives appear very uh, often in the book. But family members seem to sometimes circumvent it, like during the burial of Nellie's stillborn baby, or when Jer says. Uh, about God, he says, whether he exists or not is of no consequence and changes nothing. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, it is the Catholic Church. Um, you know, uh, th- this was, these were the people of power in in Ireland uh, from that, in, during that era. Um, and really up until, uh, I suppose, the, the early 90s, um, uh, then it started to, you know, as the abuse stories started to to come out, that their power sort of waned a little bit. But, um, uh, y- yeah, I mean, you know, Jar had survived two wars. He had seen every kind of horror that a person could see. You know, he he had fought in the Somme, um, and so. Uh, uh, from from my reading, I, I I don't know about Jar personally. You know, th- this book is is a mixture of fact and fiction, I suppose. Um, but from what I could, you know, gather from from reading and from watching documentaries, a lot of soldiers that came back from the trenches of the First World War, um, you know, they had their fate was was 
shaking, um, you know, and in 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 a lot of cases probably obliterated. Um, there there would have been, uh, you know, a, a certain amount of respect would have had to have been shown to the the priest, the local parish priest. Um, but Jar was uh, again, it, it, it's all about family. Uh, you know, the 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 part that you uh, refer to in the book when when Nelly has uh, her first child, and the child uh, dies in childbirth. Um, because the baby wasn't baptized, he wasn't allowed to be buried in the Catholic graveyard. Um, you know, uh, his soul would go to limbo, and uh, you know, these were people that were in the, in the throes of grief, and they had to they had to deal with this on top of it. So um, they decided to bury the the child themselves during the night. Um, which was a very common thing in Ireland. People would would do this. A lot of villages, people would turn a blind eye to it because, you know, they they knew the families and it was it was it was part of life there. Um, but in 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 Jer's, uh situation, they they're caught by the priest during the night, um, and so uh, they would have been expected to cower down and and give way to the to the priest but you know jar was wasn't the cowering type at, at that point in his life i suppose and um he just he told the priest that it was either he would go into either the baby would go into the grave or the priest would um and and that was that was a story that i was told um many years ago and you know it it, it to me, it, it reflects something of the character of the people involved, but also the it's a it's a picture of the time. Um, you couldn't imagine something like that happening today. That you know, but that this was what this was what society was then. You know, um, right? It was so interesting. I have so many more questions, but we're running out of time. Can you please tell me what are you working on next? Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I just finished um, working on a new novel. This novel, Life Sentences, actually came out in Britain and Ireland uh, last January, uh, a year ago. Uh, so, so it's just coming out in America now. My new novel that I've that I've just finished will come out next. March, I think, in the UK. I don't, I don't know about when it will come out in in the US, but um, it's yeah, it's um, it's a historical novel. It's set partly in Cork and partly in Vienna, um, just just before the war, uh, so 1930s, through to the 1980s, um, uh, and there's um, there's a, a link, there's a, a footballing aspect to the to the novel. Um, soccer as as you would probably refer to it um uh and there's a love story and um again it's about it's a book about uh search for identity i think um so it has something in common with this book but um yeah it's it's at the moment i'm not sure about the title but it'll probably be called the paper men mm, sounds interesting i want to hear more about it Thank you so much for joining me today, Billy O'Callaghan. Your book is lovely, and I hope 
people will give it a chance. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks very much, Gilead, for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to to chat with you. And um, I, I always chat too much, but sure, whatever. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with author Billy O'Callaghan about his novel, Life Sentences. Hope you're all able to lose yourself in a good book today and tomorrow, too. Happy reading, everyone.